Welcome to the Worlds of Maybar audiobook podcast. Previously on The New Aleph, Soma and Ignacio prepared for the assembly hearing, and Nathan arrived just outside the building right before it started. And now, chapter 13 of The New Aleph. flooded into the courtroom as the large double doors along the wall opened to the outside. Through them walked in four wealthy, dignified, older-looking people, a couple of them Pravids. All of them were wearing sharp military suits. They looked like the dress uniforms for Domoi military officers back on Prometheus, except not made of coarse brown wool. Normally, Soma might assume they were later middle-aged, but if Pravids aged slower than normal people, Aleph's probably did as well. Following them in were four humorless bodyguards in simple blue and black suits. One of them a perfect-skinned tall woman and another a regular average-built man whose exposed skin was covered in the tattoos of spiraling text. The two others were Pravids, a water and a stone. The stone was a handsome, compact man who also had some tattoos, a comparatively simple ring of text around his neck and each wrist. The oldest one leading in this group of seven people was the most important looking. Unlike all the others in military-style garb, his was a deep merlot, and he wore a heavy gray cloak hanging over one shoulder from a silver chain around his neck. He had simple but brilliantly bright silver medals on the chest and ornate pins on the appellate loops. His default expression was stern, but as he passed the courtroom guards, he smiled warmly and exchanged greetings. He headed straight toward the podium, located dead center of the courtroom. Soma didn't need anyone to tell her that this was the often-mentioned Negri, senior seated Aleph of Pan. Four people who had already been in the courtroom waiting joined Negri and the three that had arrived with him, forming the bench, a sort of court-martial. Four of the members of this bench had black versions of Negri's uniform, three had dark blue suits, with only Negri wearing the Merlot. Various guards, including two of Negri's, scattered around the courtroom, casually waiting, looking disinterested yet still alert the way the well-trained did when they didn't expect trouble. That short stone guard and the tall woman guard spoke with Negri a moment before leaving the room through the double doors that led outside, closing them behind them. The uniformed party in the center of the room and their attendants assembled paperwork, all of it on rough paper, opening and checking briefcases and messenger bags and muttering casually with each other. Everything about their demeanor felt routine. Soma felt disappointed that her and Ignacio's presence here didn't garner more unrest or seriousness. Hey, let's, uh... Negri cleared his throat, then gestured at Soma and Ignacio. I don't think we need to waste time with formalities. This is all pretty straightforward. He stared at Soma as if he had just asked her to speak. She looked back at him, then at all the others seated around him, 
her mouth open and her eyes wide. This is a preliminary hearing before it's decided if my case will be taken to the assembly, correct? Negri nodded. Well, under normal circumstances, yes. But I think we can take care of everything right here. No real need to bother with that. But if for some reason we can't, then yes, we'll take this up. But I'm seated on the assembly, so I can carry out just about any actions we decide needs doing right here. Soma nodded to him and then looked at Ignacio, who was standing still with his hooded head drooping forward. She turned back to Negri. I had intended on entering the full library in order to find damning evidence concerning the mismanagement of soul space in the assassin. Considering the reaction to my entering there, I realized I should have simply had Ignacio go himself, but I needed to look through the records myself to make sure. Because you're a detective, and you're familiar with that sort of research. Yes. Negri nodded. Then you should know that a technicality cannot save one who's indicted through the consequences of their actions. True, I will listen to what you have to say, but I can't just ignore our laws because of your intent. Soma's eyes narrowed. That's why I'm here. Because laws should not be ignored. Something is wrong with the way the soul space is managed. I'm at a significant disadvantage right now because I'm not familiar with whatever regulations you have in place to keep it being managed properly, or with how it has been managed. Negri didn't take his eyes off of her as he listened. I appreciate that you're aware of your disadvantage. I, I do. I respect your passion for justice, Detective Dan. But I'm afraid in this case... There is no evil conspiracy. Soma fought to keep her expression neutral, but she had a bad feeling. I never suggested a conspiracy. Simply that gross negligence must be taking place somewhere. Conspiracy infers organization and intentionality. I know what you mean. Negre looked down as a pretty assistant handed him and the others around him steaming mugs. But that's just vocabulary. And by claiming there is negligence anywhere, you're implicating the assembly, which is responsible for everyone under its authority. I'm aware of that, sir. Negri gave a subdued shrug as he sipped his beverage. Either way, it's not something that requires some grand action. Soma took in a slow breath before replying. It requires something. Negri's gray-speckled eyebrows lowered halfway over his eyes as he tapped the handle of his mug. Detective, what happened to your family was a mistake. A very isolated, terrible, but unusual occurrence. I'm afraid you're misguided in wanting to call upon my help. Well, that's true, Soma thought. Anger began to rise as she thought about how much more effective this would have been with the evidence she wanted in the first place. She wondered if she could appeal to someone above this man. Negri turned to the side and gestured at one of the guards. A woman nodded and opened a door leading to another room. Out of it stepped Vicky, who gave Soma a sad look. She had one of the clean-cut blue suits on, and she looked frustrated. Negri was looking at Vicky as he spoke. The only real mismanagement that happened in this situation was in how you were helped. And that is partially my fault. You see, 
Detective Dan. I was the one that made sure you received Ignacio's midnight collar potion. Soma turned as Ignacio stirred in his booth. She saw him clenching his fingers against the chains of one of his sets of handcuffs. It looked like he was pinching the links. Negri slouched back in his chair. This was a test for you, Ignacio. I've been watching you ever since we put you on indefinite suspension. You've been doing good things for people, so I thought I would give you a chance to show that you were ready to rejoin us. When the detective here came to speak with Victoria, she reported the situation to her superiors, which is how I heard about it. I wanted to see if you would show wisdom and character in helping someone who was angry and justified in that anger. Negri stood up. Soma forced herself to not look at Ignacio, irrationally afraid that if she looked at his hands and his progress in trying to free his bonds, it would give him away. But Negri just sighed again, shaking his head as he turned back to Soma. He almost did it! He almost passed the test! But instead of guiding you into a new life, he entertained your want for vengeance. He let that anger fester in you, build up an illusion of evil overlords, invented an imaginary enemy. A terrible, tragic mistake is not an enemy you can capture and punish. I'm sorry. That is not true, thundered Ignacio's voice, muffled only slightly by the hood. Everyone turned to him. Long-tolerated negligence is not imaginary. Greed is not imaginary. You can try and feed some nonsense cover-up to her, but not to me. Negri's expression turned sour. He opened his mouth to speak, but Ignacio cut him off. I know what the Alephs do. I know because I did it. Buying soul space. It's, it's hard to keep track of how it was obtained. Difficult to know for sure if it wasn't stolen. But we have to do it be- to keep off the madness. What madness? Asked Soma. Negri smiled. Ignacio never told you? No one lasts more than 150 years, maybe 200, without adding extra space to their slot in the assassin. Human souls wear out in there without it. It's all stolen. We steal and hoard space. Ignacio took over. So that we can pretend we'll live forever. Soma turned to Ignacio. You said they deal in fractions and credits so they could have more children. Negri nodded at that. That's one reason. But Alephs have special privileges and responsibilities. They're kept in proportion. Ignacio has never lived up to those responsibilities. The room fell silent for a long moment. Negri was looking at Ignacio, frowning. Finally, he shook his head. I can't do anything more for you, Ignacio. Negri looked at two of the larger guards standing by the double doors leading outside and nodded. They nodded back, then walked toward Ignacio. One pulled a large black knife out from within his suit jacket. But the blade wasn't just black. It seemed to be drawing in the light around it, making the holder's hand look darker. Soma stopped breathing. She looked at Ignacio and her heart shuddered as she watched the chain of one of his cuffs split apart. His fingers shaking, he began working on the chain of the second set. But the two men were getting close. Time seemed to slow down as Soma assessed the situation. 
No one was looking at her. Everyone was looking at Ignacio. That included the two guards sitting in front of Soma next to her guns. Ignacio wasn't going to be able to get the second cuffs off in time. Ignacio had a hood on his head because apparently it was dangerous without a hood on his head. Ignacio had told her he had said to make sure to wait a second when charging the pistols because otherwise it might not build up a lethal shot. She jumped forward and grabbed one of the pistols. She could see from the expressions on their faces that it was taking the guards a fraction of a second to process what she was doing. Some of the guards reached into their jackets. Negri looked worried, his face shifting slowly to confusion during the two seconds all this happened because she did not aim her pistol at him, but instead at Ignacio. She pulled back on the charging dial and she lined up the shot. The palm of the hand holding the pistol felt like it was being pressed against a hot stove, and one of the compartments on the side of the pistol began to glow amber. Too focused to be distracted by the pain, she let out a calm breath as the sights passed across the back of Ignacio's head. She squeezed the trigger. Crack! Dull ringing in her ears. Nothing she hadn't experienced before, just like shooting any other gun. Unlike a normal gun, though, the projectile splashed into a twisting wash of orange flame across the back of Ignacio's head. She could feel the heat of it. The guards standing near Soma now had strange guns pointed at her. Blocky and overly simple, they looked like they were die cut out of slabs of metal. Behind those guards, Ignacio stumbled forward and bumped into another guard, and the hood fell off. The back of his head was black and scorched and smoking, but even from where Soma was sitting, she could see the skin of the wound repairing itself rapidly, like a randomized spiderweb forming at hyperspeed. As Soma watched this, one of the guards jumped her and wrenched the pistol from her hand. Ignacio's face lifted up with a look of feral rage. She didn't know his face could look like that. He looked at the bench before him at the eight judging him. And he smirked as something exploded and Soma's ears rang loudly and her head hurt. It all happened far too quickly for Soma to understand it. She had to go back to the event in her memory many times afterward when she understood Pravid elemental magic better to piece it together. Ignacio was a master water manipulator. He only needed to see where it was to control it. As he saw the coffee cups, he made the water explode out of them. Then he willed the water into long, narrow needles. Then he made them all deep freeze until they were as hard as stone. Making the water flash freeze into solid ice forced the water to eject violent bursts of heat out from each needle, like each was a firecracker all of them going off at once. Then the needles flew out everywhere, darts of brown ice shooting in every direction and turning around and shooting back in another direction, over and over. In about one and a half seconds, all of the pretty guards were Swiss-cheesed and their clothing soaked in blood. And their blood 
was picked up by Ignacio's murderous eyes, flash frozen and added to the fray. The insanity multiplied and multiplied. The wood furniture of the courtroom was shattered into splinters. The bulbs in the chandeliers exploded and rained down in showering, glittering fragments. All of this happened around Soma, with none of the needles coming near her, just close enough to tear the men standing next to her into bloody pulps. Death and destruction was all around her. All the lights were out. She could only see by the light of the glowing morning piercing in through the tall windows. Another second and a half passed, with all of Negri's uniformed companions doubling over at their booths, clenched up in terrible pain. Maybe half of the guards stirred, their bodies repairing themselves, but clearly also in pain. But not Negri. During those seconds, he seemed to make up his mind and began walking toward Ignacio. Ignacio's eyes narrowed. Now, all of the ice needles shot through Negri's body. But Negri kept walking. He even knelt down and picked up the black knife the guard had been carrying. Somo could now see that the needles were shattering when they tried to gouge out Negri's eyes. They drove cleanly and terribly through every other part of his body, but the stern, disappointed eyes of the man were unbreakable. Then Ignacio fell to his knees, heaving and coughing, as if he just sprinted a kilometer. All the needles fell to the ground, broken and still and melting. The instant silence was filled by the hissing and ringing in Soma's ears. Negri continued approaching Ignacio, his shoes crunching on light bulb glass and ice, all of the thousands of wounds on his body rapidly healing. Behind him, the seven others on the bench in tattered uniforms were nearly fully healed. Negri, his body now whole even though his cloak and uniform were not, grabbed Ignacio by the cuff of his shirt and pulled him to his feet. Negri's unbreakable eyes, still angry, were locked onto Ignacio's. I guess I'll have to do it myself. Holy shit. Nathan had been standing on a narrow staircase, leaning in through one of the tall windows so he could listen in on all the arguing. He had quickly decided during it that the pointy-bearded Negri was your typical jaded administrator. Tall and gangly Ignacio was your typical disgruntled administrator, now dissenter. And hot Detective Soma was your typical angry victim of government incompetence. And he decided that he liked her voice. Now he was crouched down in the snow with his hands over his head, having jumped off the stairway as Ignacio's magic attack had happened. It had sounded like a dozen machine guns being fired into a bunch of concrete mixers. He lifted his head a little, noticing that all the lights inside the courtroom were out. He climbed back up the stairway, his curiosity stronger than his fear. But then the double doors to that landing platform opened. Negri was dragging out Ignacio, his clothes all torn up, and he was carrying a big knife. Nathan watched silently as Negri walked Ignacio to the edge of the platform, held him leaning over it, and stabbed him through the throat and out the back of the neck several times. Nathan shuddered as it happened, and his toe knocked a pebble off of the stair step 
and down to the snow below. Bearded administrator guy Negri heard it and looked right at Nathan, frowning. The stairs were covered by an overhang that kept them free of snow, so there were no footprints there to give the invisible Nathan away. But he still had a surge of fear that Negri might notice a trail of footsteps down below, the trail leading from the trees up to the building. But then Negri gave up worrying about the small rock and threw Ignacio off the ledge, a knife left in his neck. He walked back into the building and slammed the door shut behind him. Somo was shaking as Negri returned to the bench, his chair now splinters. She looked around and saw that her seat, conversely, was an island of untouched wood surrounded by wretched destruction. The surviving guards were all eyeing her. Negri didn't seem to mind the poor state of the courtroom at all. As I said, Negri let out a long, slow sigh. I had hoped Ignacio would help you, but he filled your head with nonsense. Detective Dan, I want to give you an offer. Soma didn't look up at him. She knew her expression was probably a mess and didn't want him to see it. Negri waited a moment before speaking again. I give you another chance. Leave this alone. Leave the problem of mismanaged soul space to those of us who are experienced in dealing with it. I won't let what happened to you happen ever again. I apologize from the deepest part of my soul for what happened to your husband, to your two daughters. But leave this to us. Soma looked around. She looked at Vicky, lying on the ground, heaving, sweating, and feeling herself to check that all of the holes in her body had healed. Soma looked at the dead bodies of the once pretty guards who lacked adequate healing abilities, mangled to little more than ground beef and generally human shapes. She felt embarrassed. Ignacio had been unstable, that was clear now. It had probably been a mistake to free him from that hood. He had killed with abandon to try and save his own life. It was possible that he had stretched the truth to Soma about the corruption. It was possible that Negri really did what he could to keep it in check. It was possible that keeping the Aleph's from abusing their power was extremely difficult, and Negri was the man for the job. But that embarrassment did not shame her into wanting to accept this offer. It only made her angry. She had come so far. She had lost everything. Now she was here, facing a seated member of the assembly, one of the supreme commanders of the entire universe, and he wanted her to shut up and forget about it. Do you think I can trust you to keep others accountable? Negri frowned at that, his disappointment breaking just a little. Somehow her tone or her words had just penetrated past his armor better than Ignacio's devastating display earlier. He waited for her to continue. You decided to execute Ignacio without any semblance of an actual trial. You may try and argue that he was mad, out of control, too dangerous to lock up to await trial, or some other excuse. But a government cannot be trusted to be accountable without providing due process for all offenders. Otherwise, 
it rapidly degenerates into leaders killing whoever they feel is guilty. Negri lifted his chin just a hair. I'm not going to justify my actions to you, young woman. I know the decision I made. But now I'm offering you mercy. Mercy? Soma paused as she saw Vicky get up and walk out of the courtroom. Everyone watched her go, then returned to looking at Soma. She regathered her focus. You said you know about my family. Then you offer me mercy, but you deny me justice. If you wanted to show me real mercy, you take me to that ledge and kill me right now. Letting me carry on without any hope of justice is the most ruthless thing you could do. Negri's expression shifted back to disappointment. James, get me an Article 8. The older fire prevede, seated to his right, opened up a briefcase, an action that wasn't at all necessary since it was full of holes and barely holding together. From it, he pulled out a piece of cream-colored paper that was completely undamaged. Soma's fists were clenched as Negri leaned over the shoulder of James. Negri pulled out a maroon pen, also unharmed, out of a pocket and handed it to James. We'll make sure she can't ever leave Pan. Should keep her out of threshold, at least. Put that down in the proper language. Negri shoved his hands into what was left of his pockets. Soma had been shivering from shock a moment ago. Now she was shivering with anger. She was a footnote on what Negri had to deal with today. He wasn't even going to write the order himself. Because the family of one curious homicide detective didn't amount to anything in the scale of all the lives and issues of the world. Of all the worlds. She should be honored that Negri would lower himself to even speak to her. One of her pistols was sitting just a few meters in front of her, where the guard who had taken it had been cut down. It was still in one piece. She could take it and try and kill Negri but she had a suspicion it wouldn't work. But she could feel the anger under her skin. It was strange. There was fire, ready to be released. Desperate to be released. Ignacio had told her in moments like this to try charging the pistol to keep herself from losing control. But right now, losing control didn't sound so bad. Maybe if it happened, she could cause Negri some real pain, since Ignacio's attack wasn't enough. She clenched her fists tighter and felt them becoming hot. Her nostrils flared open and air flowed easily in and out. She was calming as the fire built up, but there was still an apprehension, a fear of it being a mistake to lose control. She needed to do one last thing. Negri nodded in approval at what his secretary James had written. Yeah, now I want her to be fogged, totally wiped. I don't want her to even remember she had any children. We can at least spare her that. Aleph Negri, tell me one thing before you do that. Soma's voice was loud and angry. Negri's expression showed no disappointment. Since you're going to erase my mind anyway, was my family's death really an accident? Or was their soul space stolen to sell off to someone who wanted to live a few more years? Negri held her gaze for a long, silent moment. The fire just built more and more inside of her. 
She was worried that her eyes might be glowing. The details don't concern you. Negri didn't even bother looking up at her as he said it. He turned to the attendant. Write it all down and I'll sign it. Soma let out a long breath, rippling hot air leaving her mouth. The hairs on the back of her arm turned to little flames. She lowered her head, keeping her eyes on Negri. You will not silence me. Negri frowned and opened his mouth, but before he could say anything, the room turned white. Nathan was blasted back, flying in the air with rocks and snow and trees and sky flashing across his vision. He landed on rock and snow and tumbled for another hundred meters. Horrifying pain. Pain he'd never felt before. Pain that made him wonder why anyone would ever want to be alive if such pain could exist. Exploded through him. He also felt his body pulling itself back together. The fractured bone and torn muscles and skin rapidly regenerating. As it did, the pain faded leaving him sweating while he lay in a bed of snow, stained red with his own blood. Sand and gravel and rocks and boulders landed all around him, bouncing and rolling. He looked up and saw white and yellow fire swirling out of both the tall windows and newly blasted holes in the side of the building. He got back to his feet, holding a hand in front of his face to shield himself from the heat. What was that? Hermes looked up from her notes. Hundreds of items hanging on hooks on the walls, tools and mazai parts and enclosures, and other various items, all swung in unison, while bins full of pins and bolts and nuts and rivets all rattled. It was like a short, sharp earthquake. Gail didn't respond. Aramis squeezed between the shelving to get to the front lobby and then out the front door, not seeing the shop owner anywhere on the way. She looked around the street and saw that everyone else was pouring out of buildings and looking north. A strand of smoke was rising from Mount Alanessa. Aramis looked over at a middle-aged man who was staring at the mountain with his mouth open. Aramis stepped over to him. Did you see what happened? The man frowned, then pointed at the mountain. Yeah, it looked like a huge bolt of lightning hit. Aramis looked at Alanessa. She didn't like this. She really, really needed to talk to Ignacio now. He would know what was going on. Then she jumped at the sound of screeching metal. She looked back toward the shop and saw the loading bay doors built into the sidewalk, lifting as the shop's basement freight elevator rose. She didn't even know the shop had a basement, and on the elevator was Gail, sitting on something fantastic and ridiculous. Where did you get that? Aramis said. The man she was standing next to was staring as well. Gail grinned ear to ear as her strange mount shifted under her, restless. Ah, uh, just a project I started with my brother a thousand years ago. They haven't made Animecas like that in twenty years. Aramis took a few steps toward the mechanical leopard. More like a metal leopard skeleton. 
It was piecemeal, and there were barely more than two different components that were the same color and wear. The front right upper leg was spotless polished chrome. The back left foot was rust-covered raw steel. The head was tarnished bronze, and the taut abdominal actuators were a kaleidoscope of sandy grays. Gale sat confidently in the motorcycle-like saddle positioned where the lower back would be as the machine shivered anxiously. Last time something like that happened, Gale pointed at the mountain, caused by Aleph's killing each other. Can't miss a chance of finding some griffin scales. Maybe even some dragon scales. Hermes frowned as the mount first stopped shivering and then crouched back, loaded up its joints like springs, and then took off running toward the mountain. It leapt from spot to spot of road on its huge claws with incredible power, soon disappearing in the maze of buildings. Aramis looked up at the mountain again. Dragon scales? Black walls. Black walls and smoke and hissing, popping wood. But the smoke didn't make Soma cough. Someone else was coughing, though. Soma walked forward, barefoot over cinder debris. Strewn in the mess were charred bodies. As she looked at them, she didn't feel guilt. She felt relieved. No one was going to wipe her memory. No one was going to stop her from finding justice. But as her eyes studied the scene, she felt fear. Did the assembly have some sort of special forensics for Pravid powers? Would they be able to tell that she'd done this? The coughing was coming from a body over against the back wall. The only survivor. Negri. Soma, only the long jacket she was born in, not burned off of her, strode over to him with a pistol in one hand. The hardwood of the hand grip was scorched black on one side, but other than that, the weapon seemed completely unharmed. More than she could say about Negri, who didn't look much better than the dead ones. His blackened, shivering body was slowly repairing itself, the burnt flesh being replaced by muscle and skin stitching itself together. His head was the first thing to be restored, but his beard and hair did not return right away. His new face was clenched up in pain, his eyes shut tight. How did you do that? He said, then fell into a coughing fit. She saw no need to explain to Negri that her bond with Ignacio had granted her his powers upon his death. Thinking of that, however, did give her an idea. I want you to bond with me. One of your conditions will be to do all you can to correct the corruption among the Alephs concerning soul space abuse. He laughed, then looked to his side as his right hand finished restoring. That's not how bonds work. Cephas can't force me to carry out abstract agendas. Not that I could do any more than I do already. Soma pointed the pistol at his head and clicked the charging dial back. She felt heat flow from her hand into the weapon and saw the little light on one side of it glow from amber to a brilliant gold. 
She pulled it back another click, and the light on the other side came on as well. Then swear you will make it law that Alice are not allowed to trade in soul space at all. Negri frowned, and all the age lines he had before returned. I'm in charge of policing Aleph behavior across the worlds. Why else would I be so familiar with Ignacio's case? I demoted him. If it weren't for me, Alephs across the worlds would be finding ways to kill the elderly, the disabled, runaway kids, anyone that wouldn't be missed, just to make themselves live a little longer. I keep them in line. Not well enough. Negri opened his mouth, then sighed. We do what we can with the resources we have. I can't save everyone. Your family is just an unlucky statistic. A rare statistic. Very rare. I know you don't want to hear that, but if you don't... Soma fired at Negri's right hand, but something moved in the way and the shot splashed out in yellow and heat. Soma frowned and looked up, seeing the short, stocky man from earlier holding a sword between her and Negri. His expression was very grave. Hewn. Negri breathed out the name in relief. Thank you. Hewn lifted up the sword, which was a stretched-out triangle that looked cut straight from a giant piece of obsidian, with cracks filled with green something running down and branching out along the blade. He brought the point up to aim right at Soma's face. His voice was very soft. Put your pistol away. Soma hesitated and Negri spoke. Hewn is the best bodyguard you're going to find in Maybar, though I'm not sure why it took him so long to come in here. He does not need that sword to kill you. Where's Sorensen? Hewn looked at the doors he'd somehow stealthily entered in through. You told her to wait in the boat. You know how she can be. Negri adjusted a piece of charred clothing to better cover his midsection. Hewn turned back to Soma again. His voice was even softer. Put the pistol away now. She stuffed the pistol in a pocket, which made her jacket hang uneven on her side and made her pull the belt tight around herself to avoid being exposed. She wondered if she could figure out how to explode again, but she couldn't just get that angry on demand. Right now, Hewn, this calm bodyguard, was in charge of the situation. She turned to him. It has to stop now. There can't be any more compromises. Then you fix it, Negri spat at her. Bring me the damned Article 8 sheet. Soma turned to where he was gesturing with his shivering left hand. Off to the side, next to the blackened remains of a podium, was the cream-colored piece of paper and the red pen, both still completely unharmed. There was silver-leaf letterheading at the top of that, which still shone brightly and hadn't even been creased. Hewn did not move as she went over and picked them up and returned to Negri. She read it as she walked toward him. It looked similar to the AC paper contract Vicky had torn up in front of her months ago, except for the silver leaf, and that it instead said DC paper at the top. It had very simple language written on it. Child of Maybar, Somadan, M726-9-23. Restrict mobility to pan. Execute the following. Then there was a span of blank space, then executing signature, and nothing after that. She stood over Negri, who was now fully restored. He was catching his breath. He looked up at her and gestured for her to hand him the paper. You do it! 
If you want to change things so badly, you can have my job. After this debacle, I'll probably be forced to resign anyway. Soma hesitated and looked at Hyun, who looked generally confused. She handed Negri the paper and pen. What he wrote was, COM receives all authorities in current position of seated Aleph Kurzio Benjamin Negri, contingent upon election cycle. He looked up at her. Happy? You have three years, the rest of my term, to make your changes. He signed it and tossed the pen away. Not that it matters. He fell into a coughing fit. Soma reached down to pick up the paper. Slowly. Hune frowned at Negri as she did. She didn't feel any different. She had all of Ignacio's authority because of the condition. And now all of Negri's, at least for the moment. She found her other pistol and picked it up. Behind her, Negri was still coughing. She turned and looked at him and saw Hune down on a knee beside him. Negri was turning green and his breathing was hard. She took a few steps toward him, but stopped. His breathing became more and more difficult. Finally, Negri curled up into the fetal position and shivered as he wheezed in each breath. His body faded from sickly green to a silvery gray, almost like the silky skin some of the bodyguards had. She continued watching him die, not moving. Partly, she didn't know why he was dying when his body had just finished repairing itself a moment ago. She also didn't know what she could do to save him. And she didn't want to save him. She stood and watched as his body took on a light pewter color and stopped moving. She took a couple steps toward the large double doors leading to the landing platform, remarked on how they'd been blown open, then fell to her knees and vomited, then again, then dry heaved for what felt like five minutes. Shaking violently, she rose to her feet and walked to the platform. One of the double doors had been knocked clean off and was nowhere to be seen. The other was hanging on crooked by one hinge. She went out and walked up the ramp of one of the boats, which was charred black on the side facing the fortress, but otherwise looked unharmed. Hewn followed her out, standing in the doorway. About the same moment, the tall, beautiful woman guard from before stepped out of the boat's cabin and onto the sun deck. Soma watched them, one behind her and one in front of her, wondering if they might kill her right now out of revenge. The tall woman spoke. We now belong to you, according to the DC contract Negri signed. My name is Sorensen. Soma frowned. No, anyone that man owned is free now. Hune's voice was flat and calm. Free, detective. She's an immortal. The two of them looked at each other, then looked back at Sorensen, who spoke again. You don't know what I am. No one sets us free. I don't care. There are likely a lot of things that no one does that I am going to do. Would you set more of us free if you were able? Soma felt apprehension deep in her gut, hinting that maybe she shouldn't make this decision so quickly. But she didn't want to break her momentum. So she nodded. Sorensen lifted her chin. If you set me free and agree to help me set other immortals free, 
I'll help you find your justice. But I just killed your boss. Hune took a step forward, his sword still in his hand, but held loosely at his side. Are you serious about what you said in there? Enforcing justice. No more compromises. Yes. Sorensen folded her arms and looked at Hune. I believe her. Hune frowned. I'm not so sure I do, but I trust your judgment. He turned to Soma. You have to promise you'll do what you can to set the immortals free. Do I need to bond with one of you for you to trust my word, to make sure I keep my word? Hune frowned. No, I can kill you any moment I want, so I'm not exactly insecure about you betraying us. Let me know how I can help and I'll do it. Sorensen nodded. We need to disappear. The families of those killed here will send assassins when they find out about this. Soma looked down at the contract Negri had signed. Her eyes glanced over the first part. There's someone I'd like to talk to, but he's over in Prometheus, and I can't get there. Sorensen looked impatient. We can fetch him for you. Just bring us Negri's Aleph key. It should have transferred its authorities over to you. A seated key lets a ship jump anywhere. But for now, we need to leave. Nathan had watched as the reddish-skinned woman with black hair, Soma Dan, had boarded the hoverboat and talked to a couple people that came out to meet her. She went back into the building, returned, got back on the boat, and handed something to the tall woman. Then they disconnected from the landing platform and floated away in the boat. Nathan didn't need to check the building to know that everyone in there was probably dead. He was going to be busy for a while, researching some of the topics they had discussed. Hopefully, the records he had on his pen reader would cover most of it. And he was definitely going to meet this woman soon, one way or another. Thanks for listening. Chapter 14 will be posting January 22nd. To keep up to date on all Maybar-related news or to ask me questions, find me on most of the things at A. William Wright. Not The William Wright, but A. William Wright. The Worlds of Maybar podcast is a production of Diamond Plate Studios and is written and performed by me, Andy Wright. Special thanks to Michael Wright of The Restitution for use of music from his album Into the Dark. You can find more of his music at therestitution.com. Have a great couple of weeks, guys.